Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. Today's message is from our current sermon series in the book of Joshua, God Before Us. In this study, we will learn some helpful truths from God fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel, and how through following Jesus, we too can experience a life of promise and blessing. Well, where we pick it up this morning, um, in Joshua chapter number 5, if you remember a few weeks ago, we did Joshua chapter number 4 and the crossing of the Jordan River, and really how important of a time that was for Israel as they take that first step Uh, from the desert, from that place of wandering, that place of rebellion, and they move over the Jordan River and begin the process of receiving the promised land that God had given to them. You have to remember, 800 years ago, God had given to Abraham a promise. 800 years ago. And now here they were as a people at the verge, at the edge of seeing God do something incredible. Now they'd already seen God do amazing things. He brought them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. Uh, He had provided for them miraculously through manna in the desert. He had provided uh, for them uh, water out of the rock. And now they had just seen the floodwaters of the Jordan River held back. So 2 million people, uh, a 32-kilometer section of the river totally stopped. So 2 million people could cross over on dry ground. They had the memorial stones that they pulled from the river and they had they had made these memorials to remember God and and all of these incredible things and now here they are in Gilgal they're set up camp in Gilgal they can see Jericho in the in the distance they all know that this is the direction that they have to go and I have to wonder and I have to imagine what it would have been like to be in the Israelite camp at this time think of the energy in the room right not the room. You know what I mean. Think of the energy in the camp, in the tent. <laughs> I mean, think about the, 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 just the people would have just been pumped up. They would have been excited. God had done so many incredible things for them, and, and the energy and, the, 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 of course, the local newspapers would have been filled with headlines, right? You know, wandering tribe crosses Jordan on dry ground. Remember that? Okay, never, you guys. Like I said, I haven't preached in a week, so I'm a little rusty. I'll see if I can work on the comedy. But, uh, uh, you know, you got to think, like, people were excited, and uh, uh, things were happening, and, and they were just ready to go. And, and to top it all off, besides the fact that they were pumped up, besides the fact that God had done amazing things, their enemies, the Amorites and the Canada, uh, uh, Canaanites, uh, were very, very afraid. Look at verse number one. Let's get into it. It says, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, when they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan, from before the children of Israel. So they heard the Lord. Now next week, this is going to be a key phrase we're going to talk about. But when they had heard that the Lord had dried the waters, look what happened. Until we were passed over, that their heart, what's that word? Melted. Their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore. Why was that? Because of the children of Israel. And so not only had God done good things for Israel, but at the same time, all of their enemies, the people that they're about to face as they uh, claim the promised land that God had given to them, their hearts were melting. They had no more courage within them. And, uh, and, and when I saw that myself personally, I thought, all right, let's get them, right? Now, if you've ever played competitive sports before like I have, one of the things that you learn very quickly is to gauge your opponent, 
And I played basketball and, and different sports uh, throughout growing up. And one of the things I remember several times coaches saying to me uh, in, like a, in, a, in a timeout, you know, they say, oh, man, those guys are tired. Let's take it to them, right? <laughs> you know? Or, or maybe if, you're, if you go out on the court, I, this happened to me very rarely, but occasionally I'd go out and someone would be shorter than me, you know? And, uh, and I'd go out there on the court and someone was maybe smaller than me. Uh, knew, I knew they weren't as strong as me. And in their face, they looked a little intimidated. Do you know what I was like? give me the ball. You know, I'm going to take it to the rim. I'm going to take this guy. He can't handle it. And, and you, you sense that little bit of hesitancy in your opponent. And so you take it to him. And, and for me, as I read this, I'm like, all right, this is what it's, this is what's going to happen. God has put the fear, uh, the fear of God in these, uh, in these enemies. They've seen God do amazing things. The people are pumped up. Uh, Joshua, uh, he's ready to go. He's their leader. The enemy is frightened. It's the perfect time to act. But then what we notice is that God puts the brakes on the whole thing. He puts the brakes on the whole thing. He hits pause on the forward motion of his people. In fact, what we're going to find out is the events that we're going to cover today in chapter 5 take about two weeks, some believe even longer than two weeks, to complete. I mean, they just crossed the Jordan River, but yet God puts the brakes on the whole thing, and it would be a, a large amount of time before they'd ever experience their first victory in the promised land. Now, to us, this doesn't make sense, does it? Like I just said, we see it, and we're like, all right, let's attack. It's time to get, get going. The momentum is there. But you have to remember, when it comes to God, the fear of the pagan kings doesn't really matter to him. <laughs> the common sense that we look at this passage, we say, wow, like, it makes sense. Just go for it. That does not matter to God. See, momentum or earthly ideas is of no use to our God because to God, yes, he had brought them across the Jordan River, but at the same time, before the children of Israel could experience the full benefits of his blessing, God still had some lessons that he needed to teach them. There was still some renewal of trust and obedience that needed to happen before they continue into this promised land. If you remember from chapter number one, when we started this series, all the way from chapter one, all the way through, there's been a very clear uh, line that God has given to them. And the line was this, you need to obey the law, remember? You need to obey the law that your father from Moses forward, you need to uh, obey the law that was given to them. And so for this group of Israelites, yes, they knew that. Yes, Joshua had said, you need to, this book of the law, you know, don't depart out of your mouth and all of those great verses. But the fact was, is that this group of people, this two million people, there were in fact some of the law that they had omitted from their lives. In, in general, they obeyed the law. In general, they obeyed what had been revealed to them. But there were some omissions that they had left out of their lives. And that's what God wants to address. Because remember, God is a God who wants our wholehearted fellowship of him, right? He, he's not all about, and we've learned that already. He's not all about us just, yeah, God, you have this part of me. He, he says wholehearted obedience. And so there were some omissions that needed to be addressed. And so before God can move them forward, they needed to get some things in order. And this morning, we're going to look at this time of restoration and renewal. But I want to give you one big thought this morning as we head into the message. Here, here's the big idea from chapter number five, and it's this. We must be a spiritually prepared people. We must be a spiritually prepared people if we are going to do the Lord's work with joy and, of course, glorify his name, which is what it's all about. We must be a spiritually prepared people. Instead of being people who always rush at the battle, we must learn to take time to be holy before other things. We learned earlier on that the Christian life is a life of challenge, isn't it? It's a life of difficulty ahead of us. We know that. We know that there's going to be battles to face. We know that we need to stand firm in, in times of adversity. But there's also something to be said 
for those moments of pause, that moment of reflection to make sure that we are spiritually prepared for the battle that we face. Because sometimes when God gives us victories, we get confident, right? And we're like, man, I got this. I just overcame this sin in my life and I just walked through that challenge with joy and then the next challenge comes along and we approach it and sometimes we don't approach it in a spiritual way. We approach it in the flesh. And so we must be spiritually prepared people. So as we get into this passage, I, I just, I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer up front. I recognize that the subject matter we're going to talk about in the next few minutes might make some people uncomfortable. It might even make you laugh a little bit, the subject matter. And you'll see in a minute. Everybody's look, don't look at your Bibles. No. <laughs> um, and, and I understand that. But I, I have to be respectful to the content. Okay? I'll be respectful to God in that. Respectful to the content. And I want you to understand that what we're about to talk about is something that did carry a great deal of meaning with Israel and God. Okay? So it's an important part of, of Scripture. And so we need to understand that. And so I'll do my best to, uh, uh, to cover it properly and give you the, the idea behind everything. But it really is a, a picture as well uh, that I see, of course, of the gospel in the Old Testament. But let's, let's begin to read, and I'll read verses 2 all the way down through verse number 9. So they're, 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 they're frightened, and here we go. At the time, so right at that time, then the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. The first time was when they left Egypt. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, here's the reason, all, the, all of them that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of the war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Verse 5. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they had come uh, forth out of Egypt, they, uh, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, Till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed. That means they died. Why? Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Unto whom the Lord swear that he would not show them the land which the Lord swear unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. Verse 7, And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised. Because they had not circumcised, uh, circumcised them by the way, and it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Verse number nine. And the Lord said unto Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. The name Gilgal means rolled away or rolled away the uh, reproach. So point number one this morning in our passage, we're going to see here a renewal of God's covenant. There is a renewal of God's covenant that had to take place here with the children of Israel. Now, you have to remember the panic-stricken Canaanites are just on the other side. They're, they're, they're terrified of what is to come. And I have a feeling that if they knew what was actually going on in the Israelite camp, they would have been very confused, <laughs> right? Uh, because Joshua here followed the Lord's command at the, at, at the edge of a battlefield, and he essentially put out of commission all of the soldiers <laughs> in all of the land. Isn't that interesting? Think about it. I mean, they're at the first real test of battle, but yet Joshua obeys the Lord, and he immediately carries out these orders that God gave to him to circumcise all of the men uh, from that time. Now, if you look back in Genesis chapter 17, you don't have to go there right now, but Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, gives us an understanding of the significance of circumcision as a physical reminder of God's covenant with Abraham. It was something that was started with Abraham all the way back 800 years ago, and specifically it was given 
um, to him, to his descendants, as a, a, a connection point, as a physical reminder of the covenant that uh, God had with his people. Now, for the 400 years that they were in Egypt, they did not practice this. They did not practice this. Interesting enough, many cultures in that day practiced this. Uh, in fact, the Egyptians did. Um, but the children of Israel did not practice this through the 400 years uh, uh, during uh, the time of their captivity. And so before they could even leave Egypt, this was something that had to take place. But here we are now uh, after over the 40 years. So what happened is they didn't practice it in Egypt. So they, that was the first time they had the circumcision of all the males uh, as they were leaving Egypt. And then, uh, then for these 40 years, they did not practice it. Of course, all those that had been before had all died and passed away. And they did not pass that down uh, to, their, uh, to their kids. And so all of those from the 40 years that came out had not, did not have this mark of the covenant. And so God is saying to them, before you continue on, you have to keep this covenant that I made. You have to keep this going on that I set up with Abraham. You have not. And so before you can truly experience um, the promised land, uh, they have to go through this. And, and the question is, is why is this so important? The reason that it's important is because in Genesis, you have to understand, it's not just sort of some sort of like religious rite that people have to go through. It carried a deeper meaning uh, within it. In, in Deuteronomy, it talks about the idea of not only is it a physical thing for them, uh, for Israel back then, but it's also a spiritual idea, a spiritual principle of the circumcision of your heart. He even uses that term in Deuteronomy. And then for us today, of course, as New Testament Christians, the understanding is that uh, God was trying to make a distinction with them as they, as they were a people that were separated unto holiness and unto God directly. That was the idea. It was, a, it was a physical reminder of that. Now, of course, today we say, well, what's, you know, what's the principle in that, you know, where's pastor going to bring some application home, right? <laughs> where's he going to bring this home for us today? Because it, it is, it seems long ago and it seems distanced from us. But in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 2, and you just write down Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 14, and then write down verse number 20 as well. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll just sort of give you a brief overview. But in Colossians 2, and we covered this in our study of Colossians um, the, the contrast is seen uh, for what the Jews had this physical surgery, while believers today, what we have is we have an internal surgery that happens in our hearts. See, to the Jews, the surgery involved only a part of the body. Paul contrasted it with the Christian that we have a, a physical surgery where all the sins of the flesh are to be removed from us, okay? See, when we, when we understand this and and we truly remove the sins of the flesh and we say, I'm, I'm separating myself unto God, what happens is that we then begin to have victory over sin in our lives. And so just as these Jewish men had to submit to God's will in this area, today as Christians, we must submit to God and to his will and yield to his spirit and allow him to make a difference in our lives. So the, the point is, is that as we desire to move forward in our own victorious Christian life, there has to be a moment of separation. And that's the reminder that's happening here. There's that removal. For them, it's that physical reminder. For us, it's the spiritual idea of that there's a removal of the flesh that we're turning completely away from our sin. We're turning from our old ways and we're turning completely to Christ and we are dedicated to him. And so I, I, uh, uh, I'd, I'd encourage you with this. In 1 John 3, 3, it says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And that's the, uh, the, the big idea out of this is that, listen, they had to walk through this covenant, this reminder, this thing that they had put aside. 
And the fact is, they were, there was a time of consecration, of purification for them to go into the promised land, that, that they were actually fulfilling the covenant of God. And for you, I would encourage you with this. If you're truly going to move forward in your walk with God, there needs to be some separation from some sin. And so if you're living your life, it's like the Israelites. Man, they were, they were obeying the law. They were primarily obeying what God had called them to do, but there was this one thing that they weren't doing, right? So God says, no, no, before we're going to move forward in this place of blessing, you need to make sure that everything is right, that we're that covenant person. And so for you today, you know, there may be something that you're holding on to still. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. There may be a sin, a, a something, a bitterness, something that you're holding on to. And, and, and maybe some pride in your life, in your heart, and, 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 and you're like, you know what, I'm just not going to let it go. What I want to encourage you with today is that there needs to be that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this thing right. I'm going to move forward in purity with God. And so the first thing we see there then is the renewal of God's covenant. This is during this time of pause. But then we also see a reflection on God's goodness. A reflection on God's goodness. Look at verse number 10. It says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the what? What's that word there? The Passover. And kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even, at night, in the plains of Jericho. Now here's an interesting thing. Not only did that, that time of circumcision of the males uh, renew that covenant with God, but the law stated that if they had not gone through that covenant uh, uh, surgery with God, they could not partake in the Passover. So you see that there's two, a couple of things happening here. So now that that was all taken care of, now as a nation for the first time in 39 years, they could have the Passover meal together. They had the Passover meal, of course, as we know, when they left Egypt. They had another one a year later at Mount Sinai. But for the last 39 years as a nation, they had not been uh, uh, keeping this feast of the Passover. And so for the people, you have to think about it, an entire generation was raised without witnessing the Passover feast. Now, Passover feast is very, very important to Israel. Very, very important. For us as Christians, it's very important to us because of what it pictures of what is to come. But for them, it was very important because it was a time specifically intended to point the people's hearts and their minds back to the Lord's miraculous deliverance out of slavery in Egypt. Think of how amazing it would have been to be at that first Passover celebration in the promised land. You know, sometimes it's good just to sit and, and just put ourselves in that picture. Think about it. Think, think of yourself as a, as a 32-year-old man or woman, you know? And, 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 and as, as Joshua commands the people and says, we are gonna, now, now that this thing is done, we're going to celebrate the Passover together. And you saying, man, I've heard about that. I wonder what that's all about. And that first time that you gather with your family and, and maybe there was someone there who was under the age of an adult, so maybe they would have been five or six, you know, uh, uh, when you had that last Passover at Mount Sinai. And they're there and they're like, man, I, I remember doing this. I remember doing this when I was just a little kid. And they had lasted through, the, uh, through the, the time there in the wilderness. Of course, Joshua was one and Caleb was the other uh, who had lived through that whole thing. And imagine as they were there and trying to remember all what took place. And then as they told the story of how God had uh, spared the firstborn son from death, if they were to kill the sacrificial lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and to paint it on the doorposts. And as that death angel passed through Egypt, when it saw the blood, right, I'll pass over you. And that great representation of us of how our redemption is found in Christ and in his sacrificial uh, uh, death for us. And that when that time of death comes, that times of eternal reckoning uh, comes that God sees in us Jesus Christ and he passes over us and we can then enter into eternal life. And that great picture there. And so as they told that story and, uh, and, they, and they talked about it and then they ate and, and how they stood there, stood there and ate the meal with their coats on. 
that picture of, okay, we're ready to leave. That first Passover, they had their coats on, they had their staffs in their hand, and as they ate and they got ready to, to take, uh, ready to leave when Pharaoh announced that they were finally to leave, when he realized that his own firstborn son had been killed. What an incredible moment it must have been as they let all of that sink in, as they ate those bitter herbs that remind them of the bitterness of that past life, that, set, that life in Egypt, the, the, the pain and the suffering that they went through. And all of that symbolism as it came back to them and those who had never experienced it were hearing it and experiencing it for the very first time. Really part of me wonders if, if some of them felt a desperate uh, a feeling of just, man, I've missed out on this. My whole life I've missed out on this time of remembrance. I've missed out on this special time of remembering what God had done. Because of their own rebellion, they realized maybe that they had disobeyed God, and so then they were missing out on this, this time. Maybe even for some of them, as the story was told about the goodness of God, maybe for some it was the first time they even considered the thought that, hey, you know what? God is good. God is good. You see, the rebellion of their hearts, the sin, the fact that they did not follow God and the punishment of the 40 years led Israel to a place of missing out on a full experience with a loving, merciful God because of their hearts. You know, for us, it's so easy for us as Christians today to find our hearts rebellious against God, right? It's so easy for us to have a hardened heart towards the Lord, and then because of that hardened heart, we miss out on seeing the goodness of God in our own lives. How many times have I talked with people and they're like, I just don't see God in this situation. I don't see what God is trying to do and I don't even know if God is good. Recently, uh, we were some friends uh, that we went to college with. Haven't seen them in 15 years or so. And, uh, and, uh, and we spent some time with them. And, and uh, he was telling me about his brother, who I knew in college, and uh, how he just went through some terrible, terrible situations relationally. And, and how he tried uh, in his own heart. He said, I'm going to be the best Christian that I can be. And then maybe God will take this away from my life. And he tried in his own flesh to be the best Christian he could be. But you know what? He still had some suffering. He still had some difficulty. And so he just said, forget it. God's not a good God. I can't even believe in this anymore and he's walked away from the faith this is somebody I went to school with I was so sad to hear that because I was I was thinking about the fact that you know he was trying to do it in his own strength wasn't he and so because he was trying to live this great Christian life without the spirit of God and without God's help he eventually hardened his heart is what happens and so in rebellion he said I don't even see the goodness of God I don't even claim to be I'm just walking away from the whole thing and how sad that was but yet it, it's a pattern that's repeated in our lives over and over as Christians where we harden our hearts because of sin maybe or we're in rebellion towards God and then a time comes and we don't even see his goodness anymore. And then we begin to doubt and we begin to struggle with that. That's one of the things we've been talking about uh, in our Wednesday night study. But we allow bitterness towards another person or a sin keep us from remembering God's goodness. It was interesting in this retreat that we were at. Um, the first day, I'll just, uh, uh, I'll just share a minute the, the first day of this retreat um, it was a different retreat it wasn't a preaching thing it was just um, a lot of interactivity and, and just encouragement but the first day uh, when they got all the pastors in the room so there's about 50 pastors um, and we're all in this room in this hotel uh, and uh, we're all sitting around a circle you know and and uh, and everybody's you know pastory you know I don't know there's like a thing and uh, no, it was, it was actually really casual, which I really appreciated. But the, the question said this, let's go around the room. This is the first day. Let's go around the room. And the question was this, I want you to share with me the most difficult thing you've gone through in ministry in the last year. 
every guy in the room. It took a little while, I'll have to tell you that. It took a long time. Thankfully, I was kind of at the end, you know, and, uh, and it just went. And, and of course, the first few guys are like, uh, you know, really short. But then as it built, you know, guys were more open, you know, and they're like, okay, this is a safe place for me to share. By the way, pastors don't really have that very often. And so a lot of guys are very guarded, but it was amazing to watch as guys begin to open up their heart and just go around and around the room. I think I was number 40 uh, out, of, out of 50 guys and go around the room. And as they shared the heartache and and just poured out what was going on in their life and the trouble. And the thing that came to me um, that I was thinking about is, and one thing that was brought up quite a bit is that, um, is that how many of them told the group that they were at a point either now or within the last year of just giving up. I was amazed at the amount. And, and I mean, as they wept, many of them wept, said, I just want to give up. Just within, you know, within one guy, he said last week, He's like, I wasn't even going to come because I'm, I'm just done, completely done. And I'm very thankful they shared that. And it was, it was encouraging. It was discouraging and encouraging that you're not the only one. Because sometimes, you know, you feel like you're the only one who ever goes through a hard time. Uh, we could do that today. Tell us about the hardest time. We'll start here. No. Uh, uh, you know, and then we'll all feel a lot better about our lives, right? Um, because you know what? We all have unique challenges and difficulties. But um, even within leaderships, people who we look to for spiritual leaders, there are great moments of we just don't see the goodness of God. We just don't see it. And, uh, and we need to return to that. We need to have those moments of remembrance. And that's what we see here. This time of Passover was reminding them of the goodness of God. Reminding them that God was strong to save Israel. He was strong to bring them out of Egypt. And he is strong to save us. He's strong to give us new life in him. He, that we no longer have to walk in bondage to sin. Romans 6.14 tells us, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. How is that possible? The goodness of God. And his strength and his, uh, his desire to work in our lives and our behalf. And so we see Israel going through this time of remembrance. And they observe the Passover. But then something else happens that for many of them would have been a very unique and first experience in verse number 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land. Now that doesn't mean it was bad. <laughs> Gross. No, no, it was like a roasted kind of a corn. It's a, it, was a, it was a term from that day. So they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow. So the next day after the Passover, and they did Passover in the evening the next day, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self same day. Now to us, this doesn't seem like a, a whole grade of a meal. But verse number 12, Here's why it would have been so amazing to them. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Now, this is just an interesting thought here. You got to think for 40 years, God had provided manna for his people. Now, manna was a small, they said it was like the size of a seed. It was sort of like a, had a honey taste wafer to it. And God used this to provide for his people miraculously through their time in the wilderness. And so what would happen is every morning when they would get up, there would be this manna strewn all over the place. And so they would go and they would collect enough just for that day. Some of you remember that. If, if they collected more and tried to store it up, it would go bad. But every morning, and the idea was God was teaching them to trust them day by day by day. And God is saying, trust me every day for your daily needs. Trust me every day. That's why he said, don't store anything up. Just on the last day, now to cover the Sabbath, they could store things up. But every day for all of that time, God provided for his people for manna. So you got to think about it. There were people there who had never had anything else but manna. So to them, some old corn, (laughs) 
and some, and some uh, what do you say there, parched, uh, uh, what was it, unleavened cakes to go into the land of Canaan. And you got to think as they would have crossed over, I'm assuming, uh, and I think correctly that a lot of the villages along the Jordan River would have sort of vacated <laughs> as they came over. There would have been a lot, of, a lot of food. There would have been a lot of options for them. And as they had this meal together, and as they began to uh, taste it and maybe something new for them, they were beginning to get just a taste of what the promised land would give to them. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land. This is a description of it. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees, fig trees and pomegranates. A land of oil, olive, and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron out of those hills. Thou mayest dig brass. What an amazing place that was described to them. And now they're beginning to uh, experience it for the first time. And so they have this meal then it says as soon as they uh, ate of the old corn of the land or they began to eat there of Canaan it says that immediately by the next day the manna stopped just like that the manna stopped just as quickly as God started it he stopped it (laughs) again showing that it was a special unique miraculous provision of God isn't it interesting sometimes you don't recognize God's work in your life until it's gone right you don't recognize the blessings that you have of life until somehow it's gone. You don't recognize the joy of a healthy body until it's gone. (laughs) I think that's what they would have experienced. They said, wow, what an amazing place. And boom, it's gone. Wow. Well, God really did did do something special. You know, maybe some of them thought that this is just how the world worked. (laughs) You know, manna every day. This is the whole worldwide. That's how it is. No, it was a special thing from God. I'm going to point out a couple thoughts from this. This is interesting. You know, God only stopped the manna once they were in the land that he had promised, along with those fruitful blessings. He didn't stop it until they were in it. He did not cut it off while they wandered in the wilderness. He continued to provide for them even though they despised it. Even though they complained about it, God wouldn't let them starve. (laughs) He does that for us today too. Even though sometimes we despise him, sometimes we don't understand him, we complain. He continues to provide. See, Israel was on the receiving end of God's long-suffering love, and so are we today. God does not give up on us even when we rebel, even when we wander away from him. He continues to provide. He continues to be there for us. He ever remains faithful. And so for the children of Israel now, they had to take care of these two things before they could move forward into Jericho. They had to go through this process of renewing the covenant. They had to reflect on his goodness of the past and the present uh, and his rescue and his provision for them. I hope that, and I believe that they did, sit in that time of remembrance and recognize that God still loved them and God did provide for them even in their rebellion. And I hope that you know today that God does love you and he does provide for you even in your moments of rebellion. Even in your time when you're away from him and you're uh, seeking after other things, God is still there for you. Not so that you can be like, well, he'll just be here anyway, no matter how rebellious I am, right? There is such a thing as the chastening hand of the Lord, but the fact that he is there for you is that he's trying to call you back to himself and say, hey, come on, come back to me. Come back to where you need to be. And so God just brought Israel through these important steps of consecration. But now, as we finish the chapter, we'll see something happen that was for Joshua alone, but it would impact the entire nation and their entrance into the land. And so Joshua now, you have to imagine all this is happening, but Joshua in the back of his mind as the military leader that he was was thinking, we still got to go against Jericho. And so as we see in our passage here, he steps out. He begins to look over Jericho. It had thick walls. It had guards up on the wall. It was was, in those days, it was one of the oldest uh, walled cities, one of the first walled cities uh, in history that we know of archaeologically. And uh, he's faced with this huge task. 
But here he's given a reminder of God's control in verse number 13. So we saw the renewal of God's covenant, a reflection on God's goodness, and now we see a reminder of God's control in verse number 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him just a short way away with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and he said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? You've got to think about Joshua. He's standing there. He's looking at Jericho. And out of the corner of his eye, <laughs> he senses something. And as he turns, there's a dude with a sword, you know, standing right there. And, uh, I mean, it would have been startling. I know for me, I would have, ah, you know, and I would have run or something. But Joshua, being the tough guy that he is, he turns to that man that he sees there and he says, hey, are you for us or are you against us? Are you with me? I'm sure he had his hand on his sword, right? Are you with me or are you against me? You know, I need to get into some sword play here, right? Well, then this soldier answers him in verse number 14. And he said, nay, that means neither is what it means. So it's not really on either side. He says, but as captain of the host of the Lord. Wait a second. The captain of the host of the Lord is standing right there. I, uh, am I now come? Look what Joshua did. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And he didn't give him any other instructions at this moment. Now based off of his reaction, based off of what the soldier said, what we can understand this to be is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. It's called a theophany or a Christophany is another way of, of putting it. But it is a pre-incarnate, so before he came to earth as a babe, Jesus Christ appeared several times throughout the Old Testament in his, uh, uh, in his power. This was no ordinary messenger, okay? This was God's messenger. It was the captain of the host of God, the army of God. And to confirm what Joshua already knew, though, he also told him, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. That's another confirmation of who it was. It was not just some angel, this was God himself. Joshua in this moment then is put into a place of, well, puts himself into a place of humble submission. The whole idea of taking off your shoes, shoes was a symbol of ownership in that day. And so to remove your shoes from off your feet and to fall in worship is a, is a, a position of, of humility. It's a, a position of submission to the one uh, that you're there. And so we see Joshua humbly worshiping the Lord at this time. And I want to point out that we see here a very, uh, a very important leadership lesson from Joshua. Somebody said it this way, said in Christian ministry, great public victories are won in private as leaders submit to the Lord and receive their directions from him. Oh, that was a great summary of what's taking place here. We get an insight into a private moment with Joshua and the Lord but yet, when it comes to life, most of the greater victories are won in private. See, when Joshua met the Lord, he discovered that the battle was the Lord and that God had already overcome the enemy. This is what he's about to learn. And we'll see that as we transition to the next chapter as well next week. All that Joshua had to do was obey and listen to God's word and obey orders, and God would do the rest. God had already given Jericho to Israel, and what Joshua is learning here is that he just needs to submit himself to God and trust God, and then he'll see God do something amazing. He just had to step out by faith and claim the victory. Uh, Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China and did some incredible things for the Lord, 
years and years and years ago, he said this. When it comes to serving the Lord, he said, begin with God. <laughs> there's three ways. What he was saying, he's saying there's three ways to approach God. He said the first thing is to make a bunch of plans and just to go for it. The second way is to make a bunch of plans and then say, God, would you bless my plans? And then he said, but this is the way to do it. Begin with God. <laughs> Before all things else, a, a pastor that I like to listen to, um, he teaches a lot on preaching. Uh, and, and he says, before anything else, his phrase is always this. He says, preaching always starts with prayer. Before you prepare, before you read, before you do anything, it starts with prayer. And for us, whatever it is in life, it has to start with God. So Hudson Taylor said, begin with God, ask his plans, and offer ourselves to him to carry out his purposes. That's a great way to live, the li live life. Just say, Lord, I'm here, I'm here for you. Whatever it is that you want to do with my life, I'm willing to serve you. Now, we break it down and we struggle with that. You know, we say, well, we may say in a moment, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, you to, want, you want me to do and I'll follow you uh, as long as it fits uh, this little plan that I got over here, right? And, and then God may say, no, this is what I want you to do. We say, okay, I'll do this, but I also want to do this. And I want to add this to it and, and I want to wait a little bit. I want to have uh, this in my life first before I do it. He says, no, no, just begin with God and just offer yourself as a sacrifice. Say, Lord, I humbly submit. Remove the ownership, Right? Get off those shoes, remove that ownership, and just humble yourself completely before God. And so Joshua met him, and in that meeting, what God was doing was reminding him that he was in control. He was in control, and that Joshua was in the presence of a holy God. You know, when was the last time that you recognized personally, when was the last time you recognized personally that you are in the presence of a holy, mighty, powerful God? And not only is he mighty and not only is he powerful, but he is a God of love who loves you with an everlasting, never-ending, mercy-filled love. A God who forgives you of your sin and desires a relationship with you. A God who will stand beside you, a God who will walk with you in the battles you have faith, uh, that you will face, and the God who will give you the victory as we submit to him. When was the last time you just sort of let that sink into your life and into your heart? We have so many distractions and so many challenges but yet I feel like if we would like Joshua reach those moments of of private worship with the Lord of removal of ownership for even from our own lives just say God whatever it is whatever it is you're trying to show me whatever it is you want to do God I submit to that that's when we really begin to experience God's great grace in our lives you know, how encouraging that would have been to Joshua, that he was not alone in battle. I think when he got up from that meeting, and later on we'll see as he goes and, and speaks to the people, he would have had such strength and such encouragement from this. Because just like how God had provided for them in the wilderness journey, God would go with them into the promised land. And the same is true for you today. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, whatever new challenge that you're facing this week that you didn't face last week or this month versus last month, whatever it is, God is with you. He is for you and he will walk with you into the battle. Don't try to enter that battle alone. You will fail every single time. You'll fail every single time. Like I mentioned, that friend of mine, he literally said the words. He said, I'm going to be the best Christian that I can be and hopefully God will work this whole situation out. It was about him. It was about his own, rather than saying, you know what, God, I just, I don't know what to do, and I need your strength, and I need your help. And that's what we can learn from this, is, is that submission to God and humble ourselves to his mighty power. So I've got to ask you, do you have a battle ahead in your life right now? You're like, yes, as soon as I leave here, i got a battle, i got to take care of it, you know? In about 20 minutes, i got some issues, okay? Do we as a church have some battles ahead of us? Right? We do, don't we? 
We have some things that we're unsure about. We have some things that we're trusting the Lord in. We all have battles ahead of us. We, if you're not in one now, you will have one ahead. But he, I really believe what God wants us to get this morning is that before there's a conquest, there's that time of consecration. Before there's a conquest. You know, it's something that God's really showed me in my heart. Just even this week, he's challenged me with this idea. You know, I, I, I want the conquest, right? I want those walls down, and I want to just steamroll right through. But am I consecrated? Is there that, am I spiritually prepared for God to work? And that's a great lesson. That's why I said at the very beginning of the message, like, you know, there's got to be that time of pause sometimes. It doesn't make sense to us, right? It doesn't make sense to us at all. But God often brings us to a point of stop <laughs> so that he can teach us what he wants us to do. There needs to be that time to separate from our sinful flesh and be separated unto God. A time to remember his goodness and then to submit to his leadership. The title of my message today is, wait, what? <laughs> That's something my son says all the time. <laughs> when, he, when he needs a minute to understand what's going on. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> That's what he says. And, uh, and I, I was, that, that's a phrase that came to me as I'm reading this whole passage. Like, wait, what? What do you mean? Like, wait? What are you trying to, like, what's, what's going on here? And here's what it is. God is teaching Israel to be separated to him before they're going to see that conquest, before they're going to see the victory. And for you today, I don't know what battle you're facing right now, but maybe God is asking you to step back for a minute and have that time of consecration before that conquest, before that challenge. So I want to encourage you, would you just learn what God wants you to know today? It's a good thought. Would you learn what God wants you to know as you begin this next step forward, as you step forward into your life today? We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Ben City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for you.